0: It's good to worship with you. There's nothing more important in our worship than giving the Lord glory, giving the Lord praise, lifting Him up and blessing Him. And when you bless Him, He blesses you. Amen, church? We're starting a new series today called All In. And I have increasingly felt convicted that the Lord is calling us to go deeper in our faith. He's calling us to step into and lean into our relationship with Jesus as followers, and I want to read Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance. Say it with me, run with endurance. The race set out for us. And then look at this, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to preach a message today titled, Running on Empty. Running on Empty. Amen. You ready for this? Amen. Well, when I'm driving, sometimes I have this experience It happened to me actually last week when I was out on a date with my wife, Amy, we were driving to Scottsdale to spend a few hours together, we were going to go out to dinner, and I'm on the highway and I notice my low fuel light came on. How many of you when that happened, you have a little mini panic attack? And you immediately start doing the math, like how far away am I? How much, how much fuel do I have left? Am I gonna make it? Or am I gonna end up stranded on the side of the road, uh, calling someone to bring me gas, looking like a fool. They're gonna make fun of me. My wife's gonna be like, why did you let me down? You didn't provide, you didn't protect. You're failing as a husband. Like, I, I hate it. I hate when that low fuel light comes on. It stresses me out. But really driving a car requires burning fuel. And then refilling the fuel. And a useful follower of Jesus is a lot like a useful car. It requires expending fuel for the Lord and then being refilled by the Lord. So you burn fuel and then you refuel. You repeat the process and you keep running. The New Testament uses the term Christian three times. Twice in Acts and once in First Peter. But it uses the term disciple 266 times. So primarily we're supposed to think of ourselves as disciples of Jesus. The word disciple, it comes from the same words where we get the word discipline. Discipline. The word discipline means prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior. So a disciple is someone who follows a prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior. And we do that in pursuit of Jesus. Amen. So you don't just run the race by believing in Jesus, not just by surviving life. But as a disciple, you run the race God has set before you by following God's prescribed conduct and pattern of behavior. And so what does it look like to go all in? I'm not a perfect man, but one thing I am is clear. So I want to make it clear for you today. Disciples go all in by doing this. By reading the Bible. By praying, put this next slide up. By serving God and others, by attending church gatherings, by telling people about Jesus, we go all in by giving generously and by loving God. And people. And so sometimes in services, I'll ask you, like, hey, maybe take notes, think about taking notes. I wanna really encourage you to take notes today. Pull out your phone, take a picture of this, or write it down uh, in your notes. You'll see this slide again, but this is what disciples do. We read the Bible, we pray, we serve, we attend church gatherings, we worship the Lord together that way. We tell people about Jesus, we give generously, we love God, and we love people. So do this in your notes. Uh, put a check mark by any of the ones you know you're doing. And then do this. Circle any of the ones where you know you're not doing it or you're not sure if you're doing it. It's just between you and God. Just a self-assessment. So no one's going to judge you. But sometimes it's good to do a self-assessment and just be honest. Like, where am I? And what am I, what am I doing? Am I, am I doing the things God has asked me to do? Now, I know some of you are like, Pastor Ryan, I'm doing some of those things. Uh, so which ones are like the important ones? And I would say all of them. No, no. Okay. But which ones are like the priority? All of them are the priority. They're all important. And I felt God convict me recently that pastors have been babying Christians too much. And when you baby Christians, you get baby Christians and baby Christians have baby problems. When I was a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child, and I talked like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things, and I stopped spiritually pooping my diaper all the time. And there's this idea amongst, I think, a lot of church leaders, like, well, you can't ask too much of people. People don't want to be told what to do. And so the thing is, I'm not actually telling you what to do. I'm just informing you about what God tells you to do. And I want this message to be super practical and simple and clear. You're a Christian. This is what you do. And I think a lot of Christians who really love Jesus, they want to know. They're like, just tell me what to do. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to tell you what God says we're supposed to do. When I hear being a Christian requires something of me, I start to get a little bit of anxiety the way I do when I have that low fuel light come on in my car. I start to wonder, you know, I don't know if I can do all this. I don't know if I have the time to serve. I don't know if I have enough to give. I'm already tired as it is. I don't know if I have energy to add more to my life. I already feel like I'm running on empty as it is. And the truth is that this can be scary. But I want you to understand that running the race and doing what God has called you to do, like everything else in Christianity, requires faith. It requires faith. And I think the reason that Christians struggle to go all in is because on some level, we're afraid that we won't have what it takes. And I know men especially don't want to play a game they don't think they can win. Amen? But I want you to be encouraged that God is not going to lead you on this journey and then abandon you halfway through. You can do it because the Lord will help you. This is a race where you can't lose if you just keep running. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. So Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the one who started a good work in you when you accepted Jesus. And maybe you needed this reminder that he's not going to leave you half finished. He gives you the faith to start running the race and to keep running the race. He's not going to abandon you in the middle of the race. He actually sent a helper to encourage you and strengthen you for the race. You didn't think God was going to call you to something he wasn't going to equip you for, did you? No, he's, good. he's better than that. He's a good God, And the good news is that this race, it doesn't award you for speed. It awards you for endurance. You're called not to finish first, but to just run faithfully. Run faithfully. And here's how you do it. Hebrews 12 says this. It said, let us run with endurance. And then it also said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So in that passage, God told us what to do. And he tells us how to do it. Like I've ran in a race before. I'm not really bent, uh, built physically to be a runner. So I have pretty much never won a race in my life. But I've ran in a few races. And so what I usually do is if I'm running, I just look at the person in front of me. And I don't think about how far into the race I am or how tired I am. I just look at that person in front of me and I just think, just keep up with that person. Just keep your eyes on that person. Don't let them pull away too far. Just keep, just keep following that person. If they keep running, you keep running. And that's really what we're supposed to do with Jesus. Just keep our eyes on him. Just keep following him. So here's what we do. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So I want to go to Philippians chapter two. It says, let this mind, notice that word mind, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And just pause there for a second. It says, let this mind be in you. You will never live past your thought life. And so what God does is he tells us how to run the race. It's not by doing more, it's by thinking differently. It starts that way, not by determination to do more, but first by deciding to think like Christ. So you say, I think I can because I think like Christ. I think I can because I think like Christ. Uh, and, and here's what you're going to find. is you start to think like Christ, you'll automatically begin to act like Christ. You won't have to try to do more because you'll just do what Jesus does. Amen. Okay, so then let's go forward. It says, think like Christ. Who, being, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he was in heaven, he is God, he has always been God, but he didn't stay in heaven. It says, but he emptied himself, notice the words I underlined, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, here's what happened. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so in that passage, here's what I think is so cool. We get a formula for success. I love formulas for success. Success. I like things that are just clear and logical and rational that I can understand and wrap my mind around. And this is what, a, what it looks like for Christians. A formula for success in this passage, go all in, do it like Jesus. The passage tells us he became human like us. So he wasn't running the race as some divine superhuman being, but with the weakness and frailty and temptations and limitations and vulnerabilities of a man. So he got tired, he got sick, he had aches and pains, he had conflicting obligations the way that you do, he had fears and doubt, and at the same time he demonstrates the pattern of, for how we can run the race before us. So you see this formula? Jesus, he emptied himself, he became a servant, he humbled himself, and he was obedient to do what God called him to do. Here's the formula. So therefore God exalted him. You want to be like Jesus? Empty yourself, take on the form of a servant, humble yourself, and obey God. And what will happen? He will lift you up. Is what Jesus did. He emptied himself. He poured everything out he had to give. He left it all on the field so that people far from God could find new life through him. And as a Christian, what we do is we choose to empty ourselves. Jesus took on the form of a servant. He served even though he was king. So everybody's got to serve somebody, like Bob Dylan said. You're either going to serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord. And nobody wakes up and is like, I'm going to serve the devil. None of you are like, I'm serving the devil. But what you do is you serve yourself. And that's good enough for the devil. Jesus humbled himself. He obeyed God. He did everything God the Father asked him to do. And then he clearly commands us in what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to read the Bible, pray to God serve God and others, attend church gatherings, so that's worship service, those life groups, right? We're supposed to tell other people about Jesus and give generously and love God and love people. And can I just be honest and be real with you today? This isn't that hard. It's not that hard. God is not asking you to do anything that hard. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, yeah, he is asking you to do something, but the cost is small and the reward is great. And it's actually good for you. So when you read the Bible, you end up, you understand God better and you know God's plan for your life more clearly. When you pray, you feel closer to God and you can hear God speaking you and leading you and guiding you. He's better than a counselor and he works for free. When you serve other people, you help build God's kingdom and you find a sense of purpose for your life that you didn't have before, regardless of what you do for a living. When you gather with God's people, you find community. When you worship in a room full of believers, it builds your faith as you remember, I'm not the only one who believes in God, right? When you tell other people about Jesus, you're going to become more confident in your faith as you tell other people. And nothing feels better than helping helping someone else find Jesus. When you give, you're opening yourself up to God's financial blessing in your life. You know, giving is hard. Giving is, is, is one of the tricky things for a lot of people. All Christians really should tithe, and then we should be generous as God enables us to and calls us to. But for a lot of Christians, your wallet is usually the last part of you that gets saved. Yep, it's true. It's usually like one of the last parts of you. God will save the right. He'll save your mouth first. He'll save your, your schedule first. And then eventually he'll get your wallet. But giving money to God doesn't cost you, but it saves you. Serving the Lord, it's not spending your time. It's redeeming your time. Going all in as a disciple, it doesn't add burden to your life. It adds purpose to your life. So this prescribes conduct and pattern of behavior, it actually fixes all the problems you think you have. Like, like, I know some of you came to church today and you're like, man, I really needed help with my marriage. I really needed help raising my kids. I really needed help with my money problems, figuring out how to pay my bills. I needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I needed help with my anxiety, right? This is, it reminds me like one time I went to the doctor and I wanted a pill to feel better, and it was so annoying. He told me things I had to do to actually become better. It was so annoying. See, like most of the problems we think we have are actually just byproducts of not doing this of not going all in. And as what what happens as you become more like Jesus, you start to realize a lot of things you thought were problems weren't actually problems. And as you become more like Jesus, a lot of the behaviors that you were really embodying start to change and you stop causing a lot of the problems you didn't realize why you had in your life. And then there are some things in your life that are real problems that really, really are problems. But as you become more like Jesus, your faith in God grows and you start to realize, well, what seems impossible for man is not impossible for God, so my problems might be problems for me, but they're not problems for God. And I know it's not an instantaneous fix like you heard about last week, right? It's not like you just start praying, and then the next day, like, all your problems go away. But it's a process. It requires training. It requires patience. It requires time. And as you do it, you start to see the fruit in your life. But discipleship Going all in, it stems from your love for God, and it strengthens your love for God. If you do this, you won't have to try and love people more. You just will. And I would say let's remember why we're running this race in the first place. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that he lived the perfect life. You could never live so that you would be free from the pressure to be perfect, He died on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven by God and live free from guilt. He rose again so that you don't have to fear death but could have eternal life. Instead of hell, he gave you heaven, right? Instead of hopelessness, he gave you hope. And so we have every reason to want to serve the Lord faithfully and tell other people about him. Jesus told us, go into the world and make disciples. But you won't make disciples until you become one. In Romans 16, it says, But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. Notice how believing and obeying always go hand in hand. Believing in Jesus is the same as obeying Jesus. That's why James says, faith without works is dead. And and I think in the church today, there are a lot more professed believers than there are obeyers. But the implication of scripture is that everyone who believes will obey. Everyone who believes in Jesus will obey in Jesus. And then in this passage, John 14, it says this. Jesus is speaking. And he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. He says in verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. That shows me this, that loving Jesus is the same as obeying Jesus. Jesus obeyed the Father because he loved the Father. The best reason to follow God's commands for your life aren't because you fear God, but because you love God. Following Jesus isn't just praying a prayer and asking him into your heart. It's obeying him and walking the walk. So I'm asking you today, have you gone all in? Are you demonstrating your faith through your works? Nobody does it perfectly all the time, amen? But are you trying to obey Or have you held back in some areas? I'll give you an example of what holding back might look like. In Acts chapter 5, it says this. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias... Yes, I would say so. I'm not surprised. So this is a crazy story, but it has a lasting principle. A lasting principle. Peter asked Ananias, like, bro, what are you doing? Why would you sell your land and pretend you're giving all the money to God when really you were holding a portion of it back for yourself? Like, it belonged to you before you sold it. Nobody made you sell it. Nobody made you say you were giving all the money to God. So why are you pretending you're giving it all to God and playing out this charade? And, And what I want you to understand is they weren't punished for holding back. I think we've all held back from God. Every single one of us have held back. They were punished for lying to God about holding back. They wanted all-in recognition without all-in commitment. And in the same way today, God would say to some people, like, what are you doing? Like, why would you go to church occasionally and call yourself a Christian but continue to hold back part of your life? Like, your life belonged to you before you gave it to God. If you didn't want to give all your life to God, why become a Christian in the first place? So let me ask you again, like, are you holding back or are you all in? Don't hold back. Don't hold back. God, I don't think he'll literally strike you dead, okay, for holding back. I don't think he's doing that anymore. But but when you hold back from God, there are deaths. Potential dies. Dreams die. Callings die. You forfeit the blessings that God wanted to give you, and they go to someone else. God doesn't even have to punish you for holding back because the consequences are a punishment in and of themselves. Disciples, they go all in by reading the Bible, praying to God, serving, attending church gatherings, telling people about Jesus, giving generously, loving God, and loving people. God's ways lead to blessing. But our ways lead to suffering. And so what happens, the reason you're supposed to do this is because God loves you. And he tells you to do this because he cares about you. If you don't read the Bible, you end up confused and ignorant and easily led astray by false teaching. If you don't pray, you don't feel close to God, and you don't get the spiritual refreshing that only comes through prayer. If you don't serve, you don't get to use the spiritual gifts that God gave you. You don't end up fulfilled the way he he wants you to. You end up developing a consumeristic attitude, and you miss the rewards of building God's church. When you don't give, you end up financially struggling As you stay the God of your finances, you make a bad God. Has anyone ever told you that? You make a bad God. Uh, Your finances suffer, right? And if you don't tell people about Jesus, you end up subconsciously taking on this identity of an undercover Christian. And you become timid in your faith and your loved ones and neighbors and co-workers who were supposed to come to faith through your testimony end up suffering as well. If you don't gather with your church, you end up getting isolated and vulnerable and you feel lonely and you wonder why you feel weak. It's because iron sharpens iron. One falls but two can stand. This is for your own benefit. Can I just tell you, I've been in ministry now for 10 years, and what I have found is that couples who do all these things never get divorced. You care about your marriage? Do this. Parents who do these things raise drastically healthier kids who are likely to grow up and love the Lord themselves business owners who do these things end up more successful with less stress. Christians who do these things end up in a relationship that builds them up and it strengthens them to keep on running with endurance. So why does God command you to do these things? It's not because he loves rules. It's because he loves you. God doesn't love rules. What you'll find is that he doesn't just make up rules arbitrarily because he loves rules. He doesn't tell us like what songs we have to sing at church. He just tells us to sing. He doesn't tell you what shows to watch on Netflix. He just tells you to make good choices, right? He doesn't tell you where to work. He doesn't tell you who to marry. What he does is he gives you wisdom and guidance so that you can make those choices yourself. But then there are some things that are too important to leave to chance. So God tells you, you do need to do these things. And here's the deal. It's by doing these things that you develop the wisdom to make good choices and the character to follow through with good choices. God loves you. That's why he tells you to do these things and go all in and run this race. So... Let me just break it down and be real with you as if I haven't already. (laughs) There are two reasons you won't do this. Let me just tell you the two reasons why you would hear this sermon and not leave as a fully committed disciple of Jesus who's all in. To ignore this sermon, you have to be prideful or doubtful. So there's two reasons Christians don't go all in. It's because they're prideful Or they're doubtful. You're either going to struggle with pride or doubt. Maybe if you're taking notes, write these down. And then circle the one that you're most likely to struggle with. Based on your personality, you're more likely to struggle with one than the other. For me, it's pride. I don't like people telling me what to do. And I just have to recognize that. And for some people, it's doubt, right? They just don't really trust that it's going to work, that they can do it. I have found that typically, speaking as a pastor, the kids in kids' ministry are better at doing what God commands than the adults. Because we tell them, hey, kids, here's what Christians are supposed to do. You're supposed to read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. (laughs) Invite your friends to church, sing to God, give God generously what you have, and trust him. And they just do it. They just do it, like overwhelmingly. They just do it. You know why? Because they're used to not being in charge of their life. And they have this thing called childlike faith, where they just trust. You see where I'm going with this? Some of us, we, we struggle because of pride. As adults, we become prideful, we become puffed up, like this pastor up here, 30 year old pastor with a beard trying to tell me what to do. I'm 37. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? I don't have to do these things, right? That's 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 like a, a prideful mindset. And to have the mind of Christ, you have to humble yourself. You have to believe God knows better than me. His way is better than my way. Can I tell you a little secret? We all find humility. The question is whether or not you will humble yourself. Or be humbled by pain. Wow. You will e- either humble yourself like Christ or you will be humbled. The question is, how much pain will you experience in the process? Because it can be a little painful to humble yourself and rearrange your schedule, rearrange your budget, reset your priorities, but it's a whole lot more painful not to. So let me ask, like, when's it going to happen for you? Like, when are you going to humble yourself? Is it going to be after the pain or before? Because I've seen people do it both ways. Like, is it going to be after your kids go to prison that you decide, maybe I need to raise them around church? (laughs) Is it going to be after your wife files for divorce that you decide, maybe I need to get serious about my relationship with God? Is it going to be after you file for bankruptcy that you're like, Maybe I should handle my money God's way because my way isn't working out. Because I've seen Christians in this church do it both ways. And what I'm hoping for you is you'll hear a sermon like this and be like, I'm going to choose the easy way. I'm going to choose God's way. I'm going to choose the less painful route because I'm humbling myself. There's a better way. And I want to avoid, I mean, I would just say life brings enough pain as it is without us making it harder on ourselves by ignoring God. Or maybe you struggle with doubt. Like, man, I'm just not sure if I, if I can do these things. Or I'm not really sure if it will work for me. I don't know if I have the time. You know, I just want to explain this. It doesn't take faith to hold back. It takes faith to pour out. It takes faith to believe that going to church is better for you than sleeping in. It takes faith that giving leads to more not less. It takes faith to believe God can use your testimony to help someone else find Jesus. It takes faith to believe that obeying God isn't a burden to add to your life. It's the foundation of abundant life. It takes faith. It re- requires effort to run this race. It's true. You've got to contem- continually empty yourself like Jesus did. Pour yourself out but know that as you burn that fuel, God is faithful to refuel. As you pour out, he'll fill you up. You might think, like, I'm not sure I can do these things. You're talking about, Pastor Ryan. Uh, I'm not sure I can do it. I'm already tired and busy. I have a lot going on. I thought you were going to preach a sermon today telling me to take better care of myself. Uh, and here you are telling me to give God more of myself. Isaiah 40 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So watch, the goal for a disciple isn't avoiding empty status. It's to pursue it. We're not running from empty. We're running to empty. Because on the other side of emptying yourself for God, he is ready to provide more strength. On the other side of obedience, God provides blessing. But it takes faith to get there. You have to believe that as you give God everything you have, he is faithful to give you everything you need. I want you to understand, you're going to run either way. You're going to run the rat race exhausted, or you can run God's race continuously being refilled as you empty yourself for Jesus. So if you're running on empty, keep running and God will keep filling. You don't have to retreat, just get refilled. The world that we live in today, it promotes self-care. I love me some self-care. The world's like, take care of yourself. Guard your time. Set boundaries. You need to rest more. You need to spend more money on yourself. You need to tell people no. Just say no. Don't overcommit. Take care of yourself. But God offers something better. God offers soul care. It's so much better. God says, take care of my church. Invest in my kingdom. Rest one day a week like I told you to. Say yes to what I've called you to. Give more. Put yourself out there. It doesn't take faith to take care of yourself. It takes faith to trust God to take care of you. Jesus emptied himself and humbled himself and took on the posture of a servant and obeyed God. And the Lord exalted him. If you humble yourself and you serve others, if you obey God, he will lift you up. Do you believe that? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you today for your word. I thank you that you're speaking to your people and stirring up in us a passion to follow Jesus and to be like Jesus. God, I ask you to forgive us for the times that we've been half hearted in our faith, that we have been uh, lukewarm or doubtful in following you, God. Forgive us for those times, and today, give us the strength to endure what you have called us to. Give us the faith to run the way you have called us to. Lord, we wanna make your name famous on the earth so that you would be glorified. We wanna glorify you and lift you up, Lord, so that all would be saved and know that your way is better. We thank you that you're a faithful father. You love us and you have good things in store for us. You have a plan to prosper us and give us hope and a future, but we've gotta follow you to experience that prosperity. We have to trust you to live out the future you have for us. So I pray for every single person in the sound of my voice, today, that inside of us right now, faith would rise, that we would trust you, God, and that we would say, this is the year I go all in in my faith. This is the year I stop messing around. This is the year I follow Jesus as a disciple. I want what Jesus offers. I want what God has for me. I'm doing it God's way from this day forward. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I say this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet today. Let's worship God. Let's give him praise. Come on.